Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a four-week Christmas series leading up to the birth of Jesus in which we are looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story. Thanks again for joining us. Story is told of a man who was uh, invited into heaven and uh, was being given a tour and was taken in uh, to a room down a long hallway into a large room that was just full to a large room that was just full of unopened packages and gifts. And uh, he saw this room and it was just beautiful. And he said, uh, Excuse me, the angel, he said, What is this? He said, these are all the things God wanted to give you while you were on earth, but you never asked him. This man realized, wow, God's a generous God. There are so many gifts that he wants to give us. And yet he's looking for a childlike heart that's humble enough to ask. And I think about that this morning as we start a new series called The Spirit of Christmas. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and if you're following along in the message notes, you'll see that uh, this this month of December, we're going to see how the Holy Spirit helps people welcome Jesus. How the Holy Spirit helps people welcome Jesus. If you'd open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, the Gospels in the New Testament uh, are about a fourth of the way back in your Bible. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, we're going to look at Luke chapter 1 primarily today. And we're going to look at John the Baptist and how the Holy Spirit worked in his life to help him welcome Jesus. Now, uh, to give you an idea of how we came up with this series, uh, some of the worship team came to us a number of months ago and they said, you know, as we've read the New Testament this year, we've noticed that in the Gospel of Luke, seven times in the first two chapters, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. He's Uh, connected to John the Baptist. He's connected to Mary. He's connected to Elizabeth and Zechariah, John the Baptist's parents. He's connected to a man named Simeon. We're wondering if we could talk about the Holy Spirit and his part, Christmas. So we said, okay. And we're going to do that today. And as you can see in the message notes, I want to get acquainted with John the Baptist and also get more acquainted with the Holy Spirit. But here's the series sentence that well, we, I had, I think, uh, in the uh, leading up to it on the website, we see the Holy Spirit actively involved in preparing people for Jesus' first appearing, his first arrival, and he can help us prepare for Jesus' second appearing, his second arrival, as we wait, like Chuck said earlier. So as we think about this, um, would you pray with me that the Lord will help us not only get better acquainted with some of the people that helped welcome Jesus, but also get better acquainted with the Holy Spirit so that we can get better at welcoming Jesus too. Lord, I don't know where each person is as they come into this room this morning. I know even last Sunday, I stood in this room and was struggling with some things that you knew all about. And I know what it's like to sometimes have my mind on so many other things when I'm seeking to worship you. So I just want to pray that in this next few minutes, your presence would be unmistakable. Your authority to teach us would be tangible and that we would come to know and love Jesus personally. In your name I ask, amen. Okay, so I'm gonna uh, read 
uh, verses five, starting in verse five, uh, all the way to verse 17. And uh, we'll primarily focus on verse 15. So when I get to verse 15, if you could be ready to read from that first gray box, I'll invite you to join me. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of the incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. Now would you read this line with me that's in that first gray box? And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Verse 16. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, if you're using the notes, if you're following along, As we get acquainted with John the Baptist, here's what I want you to notice of what we just read. If you're following along, the angel of the Lord foretells five he wills about John. He says he will, he will, he will, he will, he will. So the angel of the Lord foretells five he wills about John. And this is interesting because he's not even been born yet. He's not even been conceived yet. But here's what he says, directed by God. First, He will be a joy and delight to his parents, if you're following along. He will be a joy and delight to his parents, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Now, that's an interesting idea of joy. I was thinking to myself, if the angel of the Lord was announcing my birth and was talking to my parents, would he have said this? Doubtful. There were some hard days for them, but... What is it saying? It's saying here is he's going to be a joy. Now, a joy for why? If, if you've gone through barrenness like Elizabeth had, if you've gone through infertility like Zechariah and Elizabeth had, then you know. You know that just to hear the possibility of having a child of your own is unbelievable. So joy in that sense. But also notice it's not just joy in that sense, but many will rejoice because of your birth. It's not even their kid. Why? Well, the answer in part, can be found if you look between the Old and New Testaments. Have you ever done that? Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. If you go there in your Bibles, many of you probably have a a white page that's blank. Maybe it just says the New Testament, or at least there, but it's a gap. Now, I don't know if you know this historically, 
But between the last time Malachi speaks in the Old Testament and the first time that the angel shows up to give these kind of prophecies, 400 years go by. There is no prophet heard in in the world for 400 years. And so it creates this longing. What is, is God forgot us? How come God doesn't talk to us anymore? What's going on? And so all of a sudden the angel announces this. You can imagine how excited people are. Now, if you've never read Malachi, and when I was younger, I used to think it was called Malachi. But when, if you've never read Malachi, I thought it was an Italian tie maker or something like that. (laughs) Malachi 3.1 says this. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Look at the last two verses of Malachi, the last two verses of the Old Testament. See, I will send the prophet Elijah. This is a metaphor because Elijah had already lived and died. Actually, I've been carried away. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Silence. And now the angel says, he will be a joy to you. And many people will rejoice because of his birth. I bet there was this expectancy. If you're following along, the second thing the angel says is he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. It's so easy to pursue a different kind of greatness, a greatness in the sight of the world, a greatness in the sight of human beings. But John will be great in the sight of the Lord. Why? Because of his popularity? Not so much. Because of his character. Because of what his heart wanted most. Notice what Jesus says about John in Luke 7, 28. I tell you, among those born of women, and there's a lot of those, there is no one greater than John. Wow, that's a pretty good compliment. So notice the third thing. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the womb, if you're following along. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the womb. Now that phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to talk about more a couple weeks from now because that same phrase will be used of John's mother and his father. But what I want you to notice today is that if we can just think about what our starting point is with the Holy Spirit, if we can just understand who the Holy Spirit is to us and how we relate to him, that's what I want you to think about because I want us to get more acquainted wherever our starting point is. But here's what I want you to notice. This unmistakably shows that John had a special calling from God. And the phrase, even before he was born, literally can mean while still in the womb. This has caused me sometimes when people have asked me to pray over their pregnancy or pray. Trish and I, she said it to me this morning. I found myself praying for children while they're still in the womb that the Holy Spirit would work and fill their lives. It's a beautiful thing. And so again, if you want to know Uh, maybe just how this looks. Um, Let me just read what one scholar says. The angel says, John will be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth on. This is a whole new concept of the Holy Spirit. Through the Old Testament, God anointed special people, prophets and kings with his spirit. The spirit was given for specific tasks at particular times. 
Gideon was filled with the Spirit to lead the Israelites in battle. Moses was filled with the Spirit to carry out the exodus from Egypt. John is the first person who from his birth was to be filled with the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, the Apostle Peter, quoting the prophet Joel, said, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, Acts 2.17. Henceforth would be possible for all believers to live in the Spirit. John was a forerunner of that Pentecost experience. What this means is Old Testament, Holy Spirit came upon some for a time, for a specific task. New Testament, after Jesus' arrival and his giving of the Holy Spirit, a tremendous gift. Now every person that believes in Jesus is given the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of them permanently. This is new. John the Baptist is ushering in a new chapter in history. But notice one more thing, if you just want to see some evidence of this, that's kind of interesting. If you jump over to verse 41, it tells us that Mary, when she finds out she's pregnant, goes to be with her cousin Elizabeth for a few months. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, verse 41, the baby, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then notice verse 44. She tells Mary, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Even as a baby in the womb, John the Baptist was crazy about Jesus. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Powerful. Notice number four. He will, like Elijah, the prophet of the Old Testament, turn hearts and bring many back to the Lord. He will, like Elijah, turn hearts and bring many back to the Lord. This is an interesting thing. A person is controlled by what their heart wants. Therefore, the idea here is that when John the Baptist would speak, not because he was so charming of his own accord, but because he was filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit, now when he would speak, people would all of a sudden feel like their hearts were getting moved. And they would go, what's going on? What's going on? And many people would begin to feel this pull back to the Lord, even if they were wandering or they had gotten disinterested or apathetic or caught up with something else. They would sense that John the Baptist was being used by God to do something in their life. Last night, I was at a Christmas party that had some Cherry Hills people and a number of people that weren't from Cherry Hills. And I got in a conversation with a couple uh, that doesn't go to Cherry Hills but early into our conversation, they told me that they had actually attended here a couple times. They have a home church, but every once in a while, they've come here with some family and friends. And so um, uh, the wife was telling me that as soon as she heard me talking in the room, she recognized my voice because she's heard, it, heard me preach before. And, I, and so when they said, we've heard you preach before, I said, and you survived. <laughs> but then she said something interesting. She said, in fact, one of the times you were preaching a revelation came over me while you were speaking of something I'd never thought of before. As soon as she said that, I thought, I'm not that good. The Holy Spirit, while I was speaking, even if it wasn't what I was speaking about, a light bulb went on in her mind and God showed her something. God can work through human beings if the Holy Spirit is in them. And that is just an amazing, amazing thing. A gift that I can't get over. It's an amazing thing. 
Notice this, not only that, but he will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. When the spirit of God works, he is trying to gather a people. This is different than we think in the United States where we lift up certain heroes or we say that individual makes the whole team. No, the idea here is there is a people God is gathering. The question is, are they a people prepared for the Lord or unprepared for the Lord? You've seen it, haven't you? Where it's just so easy not to be prepared uh, like when mom and dad call you for dinner. I remember I would be watching TV and I go, just a minute. And I still wasn't prepared. And of course, I get to the table. Have you washed your hands? No, I haven't washed my hands. All those things. If you're a team and you aren't prepared for the big game, it's embarrassing. If you are a group of people that aren't prepared, what it means is, is that you're not in the right space. You're not in the right headspace. You're not in the right uh, maybe fitness If you want to run a marathon, you can't wait till the day before to prepare. And so what John the Baptist is doing is he's getting people ready. He's saying, the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. And when he comes, he has a mission for you. Are you going to be ready? Are you going to have your heart in a place where you're ready to go? Or are you going to still be way, way back? So he prepares these people for the Lord. Now, just if you would, I've listed out to the right there, Matthew 3, 1 through 15. But let me just read a little bit from Matthew. We'll have it on the screen here, verses 1 through 6. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. It's describing John now. The prophet Isaiah spoke hundreds of years before. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were fashionable. They were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. He had an interesting diet. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. I, had, I can imagine the crowds going, this guy doesn't even know how to dress or eat. But like when he talks, it's like God's talking to me. And something starts happening inside me. And I feel pulled by God towards him. And I sense that there's this urgency, that there is this call to be ready to respond to God. Wow. Now, if you're following along, those were all the he wills. But now I want you to see some other things that scripture fills in more about John the Baptist. To prepare people, if you're following along, John challenges everyone to repent. To prepare people, John challenges everyone to repent. When you hear the word repent, do you hear, feel bad? You're dirty. Or do you hear the phrase, change your mind? Change your mind. You've got an opportunity right now. Change your mind. And he would say, repent. Change your mind about what you think is most important. The kingdom of heaven is near. You have an opportunity to be part of it. God is about to show up in a big way. Are you interested? Change your mind. Repent. And that's what he's saying to people. Wow. And so, again, let me just ask you, if you would, just turn over to Luke 3 and look at verses 7 through following. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him. Now, again, This isn't how to win friends and influence people, friends. Okay, but listen to this if you can. You brood of vipers. Why is he calling people snakes? 
Remember the evil one was a serpent who was deceptive, who was hypocritical. He's saying, don't be a snake. Don't be a snake. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? In other words, there's, there's something serious coming. Who warned you? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, no game playing. If you're doing something to look religious and impressive right now, please don't, please don't waste your time. Are you either serious about God or not? Produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. In other words, really mean it. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And listen to what the people said. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Very practical. Even tax collectors came to be baptized teacher. They asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah John answered them all. Would you mind, by the way, reading verse 16 there with me? I've listed it in the second gray box. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I'll go on. His winnowing fork is in his hand. When I was in Ethiopia a number of years ago, they still do this. It's almost like a pitchfork, but it's, a, it's, it's kind of a, a winnowing fork. And what it does is it takes the grain and it throws it up into the air so that any chaff that's not the real deal blows away. Now John's saying that that's what Jesus is going to do. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. And I could go on, but I'll stop there. He challenged them to repent, and there was heat going on, but people knew it was God. Notice another thing he does. He points to Jesus as the Lamb of God, if you're following along. He points to Jesus as the Lamb of God. Again, we have these verses up here, but John 1 29 through 36, I've listed out to the right of your notes. You can look at this later if you want to. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel Then John gave this testimony. Now notice what John says about the Holy Spirit. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. I taught on Genesis 22 a while back with Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son, 
They get up on the mountain, and Isaac is about 12 years old this time, and he goes, Dad, I see the wood, I see the fire for the sacrifice. Where's the lamb? And Abraham, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, God himself will provide the lamb, my son. And he provided a ram in that moment. And 3,000 years later, he provided his own son, who became the lamb of God, who would become the sacrificial payment for your sin and mine and every person that's walked the planet. What a savior, the lamb of God. And John points to Jesus. And you know, when the Holy Spirit works in our lives, we will too. John eventually would say, he must become greater. I must become lesser. He must increase. I must decrease. It's about him. It's about him. Sometimes when I'm asked to pray for children when they're first born, I find myself praying this prayer. Lord, make them an arrow in this world that'll point people to Jesus. John the Baptist was. Notice another thing about him. He says, one's coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And notice, and fire. He says, one's coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We baptize people with water. The idea of baptize, though, wasn't just used for religious services. To baptize something in the ancient world was to immerse it or submerge it. So it was often used of fabric, that if you wanted to change the color of a fabric, you immersed it, you baptized it under a dye. Why? So that that dye, the color of that dye, would now fill every nook and cranny, every fiber of that piece of fabric, so that now the fabric was completely different. There was nothing of that fabric that remained untouched. And Jesus came that he might baptize us in the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit now became so much a part of our lives that no matter where we go, no matter where we're at, the Holy Spirit is part of our lives when we trust in Jesus. This is a fascinating thing, but this is why Jesus came. What's interesting is the Holy Spirit helped people welcome Jesus. And once Jesus came, Jesus helped people welcome the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit would help them welcome Jesus. Are you following me? So what does it mean to get acquainted with the Holy Spirit? Again, I don't know what your starting point is today. I don't know if you're scared by the Holy Spirit. I don't know if someone has freaked you out about the Holy Spirit. I don't know if the Holy Spirit, because he's invisible, seems like you can't necessarily know him. But last night, I wrote down on a piece of paper a sentence, and I want to read it, and I'm just doing this in total obedience. I sensed I was supposed to pray for and speak to those of you here who may think the Holy Spirit is for special people and not for you. And I want you to know that this Christmas season, God is just as interested in you knowing his Holy Spirit as John the Baptist or any person you admire who's come to know the Lord. He has gifts that he wants to give you. Will you ask him? So getting acquainted, if you're following along, let's, that's my only goal today before we take communion is this. If you don't know much about the Holy Spirit, here's the first thing you should know. He's God. Co-equal with God and the very presence of God himself. He's God. He's co-equal with God and the presence of God himself. 
And so, again, even though he's invisible, Jesus and the Father referred to him as God. In fact, I was looking at this this morning, is that several times in the New Testament, he's called the Spirit of Jesus. He's called the Spirit of Christ. He's called the Spirit of the Lord. He's called the Spirit of God. And so he is God, the Holy Spirit. And so if you don't know him, you may have sensed his presence around you. You may have sensed him doing something with your heart, trying to turn it. And you know that it wasn't you just having your own thoughts. And so when you think about the Holy Spirit, one of the things I want you to know is that when I said that he would, be, he would bring joy to people, some of us, we think about what's going on in our lives and we're full of sorrow. And John went through all kinds of trouble. He was eventually arrested and imprisoned and beheaded. To have the Holy Spirit does not mean we won't suffer. To have the Holy Spirit does not mean we won't be beheaded. It does mean that we will have the presence of God with us no matter what we face. And that makes all the difference in the world. I love this quote. Joy is not the absence of sorrow, but the presence of God. Joy can flow like a river through your life, even in the saddest times of your life, because God can be present by his very spirit with you. A second thing is that Jesus promises him as a gift to all his followers. Jesus promises him as a gift to all his followers. By the way, do you know when Jesus did this? We're going to take communion in just a second. And when we do, it says that on the night that he was betrayed, betrayed by one of his very own disciples, he took bread and he passed it out. But you know what he said before all that, during that whole evening? I want you to know that I'm going away and you're going to be sad, but I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. I want you to know I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And notice what he says in John 14, verses 16 through 17. You can look at this later if you want to look at it more. But I will ask the Father, he said, and he will give you another advocate. That word there in the Greek language for advocate is the, can mean helper, comforter. It's the word paraclete from parakletos. The idea of para alongside of, kletos, kaleo, called alongside of to help. He says, I'm going to send you the helper. And he's going to come alongside of you to help you live the life I'm calling you into. You do not have to do this in your own power and strength. And he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Verse 26. But when the Father sends the advocate, the helper, the comforter as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. So a couple thoughts here. First, he says, I will send you another helper, another advocate. In the Greek language, there's two words for another. One can mean another different than, and the other word can mean another just like. Guess which one Jesus uses? Another just like me. You don't have to be creeped out. He is the Holy Spirit who has been filling me. He's just like me. And when he works in your life, you will like me because he's just like me. And the thing is, is not only that, but when he comes, he will remind you. People say, will I hear voices? Will a Holy Spirit talk to me? I've said this to you a thousand times. Across the ticker of your mind, across the thought patterns of your mind, the Holy Spirit will begin to speak and make impressions on you that you know are not you, even on your best day. 
And when he does, it'll always be confirming with scripture. It'll almost always be a challenge to go further with him, to pull you back to God, to move you into obedience. But when the Holy Spirit does that, he will remind you of everything Jesus has said. What a help. I'm not that smart. And so if you turn your notes over to the back, you'll see, and I've listed this before. In fact, earlier this year on March 4th, I did a message called the Spirit of God, which I put these same things on the back of the notes. If you want to listen to that message, you can learn more. Because in that message, I said that the Spirit of God, who we have been given, helps us know the mind of Christ. He helps us know wisdom greater than our own. But notice this, that the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. Now, people have said to me, Jeff, when you say a person, I think a human being. No. Human beings have personhood because they've been made in the image of God. But the Holy Spirit is a divine person. That means he has personality. That means that you can treat him or mistreat him certain ways. And so if you'll notice the last four phrases there, he can be resisted, he can be grieved, he can be insulted, he can be quenched. That's exactly what you can do to a person. And so you and I need to learn how to walk with the Holy Spirit, but we can learn and he can encourage us. He can remind us. He can teach us. He can guide us into all truth, whether we're at a school or a job or in our neighborhood or in our home, and it's getting frustrating. He can teach us. He is the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, I could talk for longer and you know I could, but here's the thing I want you to know. The way, if you want to know the Holy Spirit better, they'll be most beneficial with you, with these notes is if you go home and at some point you pull out your own Bible and you take a pen and you take a piece of paper and say, God, teach me more about the Holy Spirit. And you read those verses on your own, you'll begin to say, I never knew, or I didn't know this, or I forgot this. And he can teach you because he wants you to have the Holy Spirit as much as he wants me or John the Baptist or anybody else to have the Holy Spirit. Two more things. Let me just bring this home before we take communion. Have I trusted in Jesus who gives his Holy Spirit? Have I trusted in Jesus who gives his Holy Spirit? So I just want to ask you, have you ever taken that step? Maybe no one's ever asked you that question before. Maybe no one's ever challenged you of what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. Because he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if you're depending on your own righteousness to make you right with God, give it up. You'll never be righteous enough. Neither will I. And God knew that. And so he sent his righteous one, his righteous son, to be the sacrifice in our place that we might be brought back to God. And the Holy Spirit has the ability to connect the dots for us about Jesus. And so if you've never believed and trusted in him, this could be the greatest day of your life. Have you done that? Have you changed your mind about Jesus and have you believed in him? Look at what Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says. And you also were included in Christ. Paul's writing to Christians now. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When you believed, you were sealed. At that very moment, if you've trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live in your life. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he's, you know all about him or that he's controlling your life, but he's at least in your life, and you can learn more, and he can show you things. The last thing is this. So, if so, am I learning to walk with the Holy Spirit? 
Am I learning to walk with the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5.25 says this about, since we live by the Spirit, for those of us that are believers, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This week, uh, Trish and I had lunch with some friends, and uh, a lady in this church and her husband were talking to us about what they've been learning with God. And uh, this lady said that when she sends her kids out, uh, they're teenagers, when she sends them out of the house in the morning, sometimes she'll say, now don't forget to rely on the Holy Spirit. And I thought, what a great word. Friends, it's possible to live every day of your life in your own power. But God wants us to know what it's like to walk with the Holy Spirit, for him to guide us, to show us things, to remind us things, to challenge us in ways that'll make us greater people, not lesser. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.